The gospel reading again is from St. Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 through 46, and it can be found on page 1533 of your pew Bible. Matthew 21, 33 through 46. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, and he put a wall around it, and he dug a wine press in it and built a watchtower. And then he rented the vineyard to some farmers, and he moved to another place. Now, when the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants, and they beat one. They killed another, and they stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. And last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him, they threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches To a wretched end, they replied. And he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him. But they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus. I'm going to start by asking you to keep a few things in the back of your mind as we go through this parable. Many of the events that are represented in the parable actually would happen in less than a week. 
In a few days, Judas would betray Jesus. In less than a week, Jesus would suffer, die on the cross, and he would rise from the dead. The chief priests and the elders were already having secret talks about just how they could destroy Jesus. And Jesus knew that this was coming when he told this very story. Now, Jesus painted a word picture for his listeners. He said, hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and, as we read before, put a fence around it, and he dug a wine press in it, and he built a tower, and then he leased it to tenants, and then he went to another country. Verse 34, when the season for the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. That's Matthew 21, 33, and 34. The setup for this parable is very familiar to the hearers. What I mean to say is that no doubt many of the Passover pilgrims who heard and listened to Jesus had seen vineyards, just like the one in this parable on their sojourn. His listeners would be very familiar with the idea of renting land and then the obligation to share the crops that it produced. There may even have been vineyard owners and workers of vineyards that were listening to Jesus when he told the parable. Within the context of this parable, the landowner, well, the landowner represented God. The vineyard represented Israel. The many details involved in the planting of the vineyard, which is the fence and the tower and the wine press and so forth, show that God had blessed Israel with all that it needed to thrive and to grow. The tenants represent the spiritual leadership of the nation. In the current circumstances, that would be the chief priests and elders of the people. These were the same people that questioned Jesus about where upon he came of this authority. The servants who came to collect the crop would be God's servants, especially his prophets, and the fruit, the fruit that they expected would be repentance and faith. Now, after Jesus sets up the backdrop of the parable, he starts making his point. He says, the tenants took his servants, they beat one, killed another, and stoned another. And the tenants turn out to be violent, insane criminals. 
There is no sense to what they are doing. And only the most prideful arrogance would believe that it could get away with such a crime. The sentence, this sentence represents the violent history of Israel towards God's prophets and other servants. That is, the writer in Hebrews describes the life of the prophet very well. He says they were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. In verse 36, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. In verse 37, they were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went out about in skins of sheep and goats. They were destitute. They were afflicted. They were mistreated. Verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. That's Hebrews 11, chapter 11, verses 35 through 38. Check it out. You see, Israel's history toward the prophets was one of unbelieving rebellion, violence, and torture. Now, under these circumstances, the landowner had the right, the right to punish these tenants with death. And that is exactly what an ordinary landowner would do. However, the landowner in the parable is not ordinary, is he? Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they, the tenants, did the same thing to them. Here Jesus illustrated the incredible mercy, the lavish grace of God. Instead of judging Israel and destroying it, God sent more prophets. The teaching here is consistent with the words God gave to Ezekiel. He said, as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O Israel? That's Ezekiel 33, verse 11. God offered life to Israel. Nevertheless, God's prophets continued to suffer cruel violence. Now at this point, the landowner in the parable did something insane. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. Given the history of these tenants, no earthly landowner would do this. An earthly landowner might send his son ahead of an army 
with orders to destroy the tenants, but he would never send his son to collect the fruit of the vineyard. Now, the amazing thing is that Jesus was teaching about himself at this point in the parable. He himself, he himself is the son of God. He has come just as the prophets came before him. The parable is about the person who first told it. The parable is about Jesus. Now, as Jesus continued, the tenants revealed the extent of their insanity. When the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is their heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And verse 39 says, and they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. Who in their right mind would think that or believe that they could become the heirs of an estate by killing the current heir of the estate? Can you remember or have you ever been told Has there ever been a legal system in the history of the world that would allow such a thing? That is, if I kill the heir, I get his inheritance? No. And it is astounding that this parable is prophetically accurate in its detail. The tenants threw the son out of the vineyard before they killed him. In a similar matter, the Roman soldiers will lead Jesus out of of Jerusalem and they will crucify him. The parable, it illustrates what will happen to Jesus by the end of the week. Now Jesus closed the parable by asking his hearers, to judge the tenants. He asked them to judge the tenants in the parable. And when therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And they said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. The judgment that the hearers of the word The judgment that they gave was death. The owner will kill the tenants and replace them with faithful people. There is a hot place in hell for those who violate the precious trust God has placed in their hands for those who do not repent. This parable is is actually very well, it's, it's thoroughly terrifying in its judgment. Now, the sad thing about this parable is that it is God's intent to make all people fellow heirs, co-heirs with Christ. As the Apostle Paul points out, he said, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That's Romans 8, 16, and 17. 
So within the context of the parable, it, it, it was the landowner's intent. It was his intent to make the tenants heirs with his son. The landowner intended to freely give them the very thing that they tried to take by violence. The insanity of their evil not only caused them to lose this gift that was going to be theirs, that was theirs, not only did they lose that, they lost their lives as well. They could have had it all, but they lost it all instead. Does that sound familiar? You had it all, but you chose poorly. How about Adam and Eve? They had it all. They were created in the image of God, and yet Satan was going to give them something that he couldn't give them. They already had it. They were deceived. The parable in today's gospel is a true tragedy. It ends with a dead son and damned tenants. Jesus was not satisfied with this ending, so he followed it with a quote from Psalm 118. And Jesus said to them, Have you never read the Scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Now with these words, Jesus made it clear that the fate of those in the parable need not be their fate. Just as the rejected stone became the cornerstone, so Jesus himself did not remain rejected. Although Jesus died in rejection, he did not remain in the grave. He rose from the dead to become the cornerstone upon which the church depends. Now, under God's grace, hear this, under God's grace, even the evil tenants need not be damned. It would not surprise me, not in the least, that some of those who voted to crucify Jesus later repented. It would not surprise me at all if they heard the preaching of the apostles and they received the gift of faith from the Holy Spirit. It would not surprise me in the least that they, through the gift of faith in the one whom they crucified, were now in heaven. God's grace is for all. He wants to give it to us freely for the sake of the perfect life, the suffering, and the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Here's the thing. If we insist that God must save us on our terms, then we shall follow the example of the wicked tenants in the parable. When God has his way, we will die in Christ and follow him. 
We will not remain in the grave, but we will rise from the dead just as Jesus rose. We are already sons and daughters of the living God. We have it all. And Jesus has placed his righteousness in our hearts. And in a few minutes, we will taste grace cross over our lips. We will take part in Holy Communion, which is his body, the Son, and his blood, the Son's, shed for you and for all who believe. And the best part is, we will live with him forever. Amen. In the name of Jesus, amen.